Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of What to Watch on Netflix. My name is Jed Shepard and I'm your host. Uh, this is a podcast where we give recommendations on, on films and TV to watch, but also we talk to filmmakers and actors about uh, their process and the films they've been in and just you know, sometimes I get a little bit geeky and I, and I go a little bit inside myself and I kind of want to do something for myself and this is one of those episodes where I do that. Um, you may have already heard my interview with Catherine Mary Stewart who was uh, one of the the co-lead actresses um, in one of my favourite films of all time, that's Night of the Comet. And this is the other co-lead actress, it's Kelly Maroney. Hello, Kelly. Hi, thank you for having me. That's okay, Kelly. I'm I'm so honoured to speak to you right now, because I've got now I've got both sisters. I'm so happy. <laughs> <laughs> you do. <laughs> you do. I'm so excited. I love that remark about I do th- I go inside myself, do things for myself. That's wonderful. <laughs> Thanks. I do it quite often, uh, to be quite honest. I'm um the, the last few few weeks <laughs> on, on my podcast I've been I've been uh, talking to a lot of the the f- the filmmakers and the actors from from all my favorite films. Um and uh, yeah, you are in my favorite film of all time. And I know you. Thank you. I'm so delighted to hear that. <laughs> I'm good. And you probably hear that quite a lot at conventions and things like that. But genuinely, my friends and my family are all angry at me for con- continually bringing up this film, Night of the Comet, wherever I go and whatever <laughs> I do. And I told Catherine this story that um, I also make films as well. And when I do Q&As and um, intros to, to, to films, I'm always asked, what's your influence? How did you come up with this crazy film? And my, my answer straight away is, my favourite film of all time is Night of the Comet. You need to watch it. It's on Netflix right now. Everything you need to know about making a great movie is in Night of the Comet. The dialogue, the kind of interaction between the characters, just the general storyline, the sense of fun. It's it it's to me it's the it's the perfect movie. But Kelly, tell me about your experiences on Night of the Comet. Um, where should I begin? At the very, very what start. What would you like to know? I, I, like I said to Catherine, well, I there's read the no script, detail. Um, and, um, it was, uh, I just went in as a, a, on an audition, and actually I'd read the script and I thought, you know, I'd really love to play something, you know, I need to grow up a little bit. I was, you know, I, I realized that, um, you know, kid after kid, so I thought, you know, I wonder if I could play Reggie, because she's so tough, and she's got that great motorcycle scene with the zombie in the beginning, and, and I said, can I read for Regina, and I said, no. <laughs> I went, okay. <laughs> Why? Why? And so, I, well, because they called me in for Sam, and come to find out that the director, writer-director Tom Eberhardt had said, you know who I want for Samantha's, that... Give, give me somebody like that irritating cheerleader in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. And they said, you know what? We can actually probably get you that irritating cheerleader from Fast Times at Ridgemont High. <laughs> so when I walked in and said, can I read for Regina? They said, no. <laughs> wow. No. I'm sure they already, they, they had seen uh, Starfighter, and I think that they already knew that they wanted Catherine, yeah. except for, you know, in, in case they didn't get her. I mean, you know, before something is cast, they have to read people because they don't know what's going to happen. If one, you know, they, they know who they might want to get, but if it doesn't work out or there's a terrible audition or the person says no or they can't come into an arrangement, then they have to have other choices. But I think that they did want her from the beginning. And, um, I mean, even though though that was the case, there was some heavy competition. I remember uh, sitting and reading with a... I didn't know I had the part by any means. 
because they read other other women, women, young actresses with Kathy too, but mm-hmm. um, they read a whole bunch of Regina's, and there was one blonde girl sitting there, actress, and and uh, the producer walked by and he said, "Why do you look so nervous?" And she said, "Because I'm the only blonde sitting here," <laughs> and <laughs> and I thought, "Well, I'm sitting here too, and I have a bl- I have blonde hair, so what if I get the part?" <laughs> I didn't say anything, but I thought, "Geez, that's a negative attitude." <laughs> But it, I think that they 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 were masterminding the whole thing. So anyway, finally, the producer was also an actor himself. Wayne Crawford said, "All right, you can read for Regina once if you like. Just get it out of your system." But you know, and so I did, wow, and okay. um, yeah, I did. And he goes, "Okay, that, you know that was great, but you know what? You're Samantha." <laughs> I was like, okay, what, what, you know, why complain about getting one of the greatest roles ever written for a young actress? You know, oh, definitely. Please. And so, so you basically it was was it one audition, or did you before you even had to audition, just based on the Fast Times at Richmond High character, you were immediately uh, cast? Oh, they didn't tell me any of that because if I came in and they didn't like what I was doing, or you know, I did gave a bad audition or something, that would have been yeah. Those are just they, every movie has a wish list, mm-hmm. and they put things that okay, ideally I'd like this person or that person, but that quickly falls by the wayside. <laughs> and they, you know, during the casting process, they, yeah. you know, people come in and stand out, or they don't. So I mean, you can you can definitely end up at the, you know one of the top people on the list and through circumstance somebody else could come in and blow you away or whatever so that that's never a done deal and and when you first met uh, Catherine Catherine Mary Stewart what was the kind of what was the atmosphere like um, did you know straight away that you two would be make great sisters because obviously you don't look alike you don't look like sisters but watching the film you feel like the most sisterly couple ever the 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 dialogue between you two is very sibling like and you don't you don't disbelieve for a second that you you're both related what was it like when you first mess up with with Catherine Mary Stewart the first time I met her, we we were doing, you know, in the beginning where they show the the pictures um, in in um, in the um, Belmont House. They show Tom Eberhardt is is the dad, oh, right. the Green Beret, and, and then um, they show a younger picture of Kathy and a younger picture of of Sam. And so we went and and we we just did those photographs, um, and that's the first time I met her. And so. Um, you know, she, she was reserved, and I was reserved, so I didn't really have a, a sense of what that was going to be like. Uh-huh. But then the first day on set, uh, we did all the stuff in the Belmont house where uh, Reggie comes home and Samantha's, you know, talking about pep squad practice yeah. and, you know, the Muffy and where are the goddamn kids. We did all of that in one day, the very first day of shooting. Wow. And we just looked at each other and we went, okay, let's go. And it just was there. I think that you you have this luck involved with getting chemistry. You know, mm-hmm. casting is a is a it's kind of a magical art. You never really quite know. I don't think it's, there's some mystery involved. Um, but we both done soaps, and we both had that. Um, she had Canadian, and I had a Midwestern sensibility about let's do it. You know, and, and I just think maybe it's a past life experience. We already knew each other. I don't know, yeah. <laughs> but we just went. And, we didn't. We didn't talk about it. We didn't have, like, you know, Freudian conversations about what it would be like to be sisters and yada, yada. None of that stuff. We just went and did it. It was the most organic thing ever. And it, we just fell into that relationship, and we still do when we 
when we show up, you know, show up to festivals or whatever together, mm-hmm. we tend to fall back into those roles. <laughs> like I'm always, you know, poking her with my elbow and, you know, like making smart remarks. And she's always, you know, trying to be, <laughs> yes, but Kelly, really, we must do this. <laughs> it's like, no. <laughs> so we, it's a, it's just one of those things. It's really funny. So cool. And I was uh, going to say something else about that too, but I heard, yeah. oh, I, I think basically it, it came down to really basic things. And Catherine had said, and I never had a sister. So it was, oh. you know, fun for me to do that. And uh, I had sisters, but they all grown up when I was born. But right. um, I also had nieces and nephews. And and I was I was just thinking, what would it have been like to be like kind of like my little sister, but not really because um, um, I was actually technically their aunt, <laughs> you know? And so oh. I thought, well, um, I mean, look at Catherine Mary Stewart. She's beautiful and accomplished and all, all the things that you would look up to and want to be like. So it wasn't really acting for me to, you know, to be like, oh, I want to be just like my big sister because there she was. <laughs> you know, you didn't have to make that up. There's Kathy. That's really so sweet. So it wasn't really a big acting feat, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't like they, like they gave me somebody who I had to create all this backstory about. There she was. Who wouldn't want to be like that? Yeah. So it was really easy. She talks She talks so highly of you two. Um, she, she says um, you're the only one she's kept in touch with. And uh, she told me to pass on a message that she's looking forward to, to uh, seeing you again in a couple of weeks at a convention. Um, yes. Yes, we're going to be in Williamsburg, Virginia together doing a show called Scares That Care. Nice. And nice. it's a funny thing. It's for, for some reason... In the in the uh, collective unconscious, people really buy that sister thing that's mm-hmm. really real. Yeah. Because whenever I go someplace by myself, everyone says, "Where's Kathy?" <laughs> and she has told me that whenever she goes someplace without me, they go, "Where's Kelly?" <laughs> And then one actor said to me one time, just and I just thought it was so funny, unconsciously, he said, you know, I did a movie with your sister. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh-huh. well, in my mind, you're your sisters, so... so. Yeah, it, just, it, just, it, it was just so real to us and then everyone else involved that it's sort of stuck all these years like for a lifetime yeah it's amazing so so talking about the other people really fortunate who were involved um there were a lot of um, um interesting names um in the cast of night of the comet um uh, catherine had a lot to say about robert beltran uh she seems to be a little bit fond of him um <laughs> i don't think that fondness has, has faded over, over the years uh but she said that everybody was is essentially in love with, with robert beltran um who plays the last man on on earth well for a while anyway hector um what was what, what's your experience with with working with him well, he was very intense. He was very, very. I mean, he he was involved in a, a a Shakespearean thing downtown here in downtown LA. Ah. So it wasn't like he was just coasting through his career. He was a very dedicated, very serious, classically trained actor. Yeah. And I really respect that. He just went after it. You know, everybody did, but uh, um, um, it's actually a very. I should say it's a very rare thing when you get somebody in a cast that's just like phoning it in. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. the the most Heartbreak, heartbreaking thing ever. So when I say that, it's not like it's a, a you know, unusual thing. Yeah. But he really did care, and he was, he was, um, it would have been easy to go in there, I guess, but personally offensive for him to go in there and play, um, 
you know, the the, uh, the Mexican truck driver and all that. He yeah. really created a character that had nothing to do with that stereotype. And there was just something so likable about him, you know, not having the first idea what was going on, but, like, yep. <laughs> just going with whatever was going on is very attractive. And then that scene where um, he goes back home to see if his parents are still there, and he runs into the kid zombie, yeah. who's played by uh, a little person, stunt person. Oh, that was okay. hilarious. I mean, uh, it just had it had a natural sense of which I didn't see coming. <laughs> I thought he was very serious, and then he just I mean, that scene is like uh, to this day it, it cracks me up when he sees the kid and shuts the door. <laughs> I mean, see, like, like now you bring I didn't it up. really, I didn't really know that was going to happen, so it was a fun surprise. Yeah, but I, I know that he, um, um, he and Kathy really because, well. They were playing. You know, they had all their scenes together. I was just the person coming in and. And, um, well, you were trying you to know, spoil their fun, uh, weren't you? You, you, you had a cause, well, it was causing them to roll their eyes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the kid was played by a little um, person. Uh, I didn't. I didn't realize that. I, th- mm-hmm. I didn't. Yeah. But now you think. Now I think about that it. Guy. Yeah. Interesting. That <laughs> guy because um, he had a lot of stunts to do. Yeah. Know, so it had to be somebody that wasn't going to get hurt. That's great. And um, your your mother was played by Sharon Farrell, your stepmother. Um, yes who played the Doris um your scenes with with Doris are amazing and when I when I want to convince someone how great Night of the Comet is I point them towards uh you, your scene uh, near the start with Doris and just the interplay between you two which um culminates in in uh, um, a physical fight um it's just brilliant <laughs> what was what was it like working with 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 Sharon or and also Again, what, yeah so we were we were at that Belmont house and we had locations for a specific limited time so mm-hmm. whatever was at that location we had to shoot it and here she comes i'd never met her before <laughs> um I, I know it's just it's just funny when when actors have no time to prepare or you know or, or worry about what they're going to do it just organically shows up yeah. if it, if it's if it's right it was something that movie was just so many things are just meant to be mm-hmm. um she came in and she was she was devastated that she was going to have to hit me. She was really nervous about it. And I remember, because I was on a soap opera, and uh, I had a, a mother-daughter relationship where it was very contentious, and we had physical fights, too. So I, was, I already knew what was going to happen. I said, Sharon, you have to just hit me, because if you don't, we're going to end up getting hurt trying really to fake the slap. I made her. Wow, okay. And I, I, I thought so, that I'm was the hit case. You back. I'm going to tap you back. I'm not going to hurt you, but I want to tap you back because otherwise we're going to be standing here all night long and we will get hurt. So um, she, 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 <laughs> the last thing on earth she wanted to do was hit me. But then um, I needed enough, I needed enough, um, 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 What's the word? Um, Adrenaline? Momentum. Right. Yeah, no, I needed enough momentum when she hit me to throw myself over the couch. Because <laughs> I had to throw myself over the couch and roll to the TV. Yeah. So it, it had to look good. I basically threw myself. She didn't, she barely touched me. Um, and, and, you know, that was, and I, I just, I, I got, you know, it was, became one of those, did I hurt you? No, did I hurt you? No, did I hurt you? <laughs> it's very convincing. It was very convincing. It was, it, it was not. It was not her favorite scene. So no, we didn't really end up hitting each other. But um, the fake slaps were not going to work. Yeah, yeah. You know the, the things that they they try to make you do that, like it's a, a stage fight. It was not going to work. And on camera, it very rarely does. 
you always have to end up doing something that's not in your combat training from school because it won't work. And you can see it. I mean, sometimes things go, and, and you can see a fake fight, and you know that the guy missed him by a mile, and it's laughable. Yeah. So I'd rather have it look real. I mean, no, I, I, I hope that she, I hope I didn't hurt her. I don't think I did because I've seen her. She would have said so before this, I would think. But um, <laughs> um, I've, got another, I've, got, I've got another name for you. Uh, Mary Warrenoff. What was it like working with her? Oh, she's lovely. Yeah. I, I was, I was nervous about her because she's so intimidating. <laughs> yeah. You know, she's so powerful, especially in, in person. Um, she's really, she's, she um, just glows with an aura of power. And I thought, this woman's going to eat me alive. Yeah. And I didn't know what to expect because she seems very stern, you know. And I had no idea how she was going to play the scene. Again, I met her that day. Mm-hmm. Um, and she came in and, and she was playing it very motherly. And it just melted my heart. I thought, what a wonderful choice. It's the last thing I expected her to do. Yeah. But because she played it that way, I mean, I had to, I had to keep from like, from like tearing up. It was so beautiful the way she was, being so motherly and kind towards me that it made me, made me want to cry. Hmm. Um, and I, because mostly because it, it was such a surprise. I don't know what I thought she was going to do, but I didn't expect that. Yeah. I thought it was such a beautiful and brilliant choice, and it really, I mean, it was one of my favorite days working. Because um, she's just wonderful. So her her so character, present, such a giving actress. Yeah, mm-hmm. she's great. Her character, um, uh, Doctor Audrey White. What's your view on 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 her? Do you think she's a a, a good? character or a bad person i can't quite quite work it out um because near, near the end of the film she obviously has like a crisis of confident uh, of conscience where she realizes mm-hmm. how bad it's going but she would have been implicit throughout the throughout the start in doing this so do you oh, think, yeah do you think she's bad or do you think she's good or or was that the beauty of this character? I think, I think that we, when we meet her, I think that she she wasn't thinking about it in real terms. But when actually the children came in and the teenagers came in, and the reality of what they were doing hit her, mm-hmm. I think that we we kind of meet her in in that the turning point right. in the character. Okay. So you, I mean, the backstory is sort of given that she was along with these guys, but then. She, by the time we meet her, she has seen what they're actually doing and is horrified. Yeah. And then she realizes, oh, you know, you know what? We thought we were so smart, but we're getting it too. So. Yeah. Um, that was a nice touch. I, I, but we, don't, we don't get to see her in the beginning before she has that awareness. So it's kind of assumed. Yeah. But I, for me, it works just fine because I think the minute you see these evil scientists, you go, okay, I got it. Evil scientists. Yeah. You really don't have to see a lot more of <laughs> how evil they really are. I mean, just the whole setup is right there. Well, I mean, there was plenty of amazing scenes in the film, uh, like almost too many to mention. You've got the uh, daddy would have um, gotten us Uzi's scene uh you've got the mall scene you've got uh, the radio station scene out of all of those amazing kind of iconic to me at least uh scenes what what, what one's your favorite and why yeah. oh gosh um you know after some time has passed mm-hmm. your your favorite scenes sort of become the ones that you can see meant the most to the other people right so it's your memory of doing them is affected by um, the impact that they had on other people. Yeah. If you know what I Yes, I do, yeah. You do them, but then when you see that other people responded to it, um, you kind of go back in your memory and think, well, you know, 
I do sort of get like what caused them to, to to spark on that scene in particular, and then you get more information that you didn't have while you're shooting the scene. Like for example, I didn't realize when we were doing the radio station. The reason we were doing that was uh, there was a whole co- running commentary of what was happening to the music industry, mm-hmm. which I was really not that aware of as, as you know newcomer. Um, but Tom Eberhardt had been a, a DJ in college. Mm-hmm. And so he had a few things, uh, opinions about what was happening in our music industry that you could see happening, but the general, uh, you know, the typical person couldn't couldn't see yet. Maybe, you know, how everything was becoming automated. And, yeah. Well, you know what's since happened to the music industry, but mm-hmm. he was seeing, foreseeing that hap- starting to happen. So it was really important for him to make that connection of the radio station where you could actually go and try to connect with other people. Um, and, and to this day. Much to my surprise, people who are involved in radio and active in radio, that means so much to them. Yeah. Um, DJs will say, oh, the radio station scene. And, I mean, I got it at the time, like, you know, how powerful it was to be able to get on a microphone and go, is anybody there? Mm-hmm. But it, I really got it on a deeper level after after seeing what it meant to them. And, and, and feeling like, wow, I leapt into that scene and I had no idea... Um, of actually the deeper meaning that I was actually getting to be a part of. Yeah. Um, because we do know what happened to the music scene after that. That's true. <laughs> so, and, um, and the radio and the radio scene also leads into probably one of the the most kind of scariest kind of jump scares in the movies is your is your dream sequence with the with the with the zombie. Um, is, yeah. I, I can't think of too many other moments in in the film where there's a maybe that maybe the alley zombie as well, but um, the that dr- kind of dream sequence is is particularly kind of uh, powerful. Um, what, what's your what's your memory of, of doing that? Because obviously, it's uh, it's this film is kind of for teenage guys, and obviously you're in that scene as a um, <laughs> not okay. Well, I'll see what much, happens. Yeah. <laughs> go for it. Go for it. <laughs> They were they were really trying to get Kathy to do a nude scene when that that thing in the beginning where they rolled they made a circle around her at the first shot and they yeah. say the city of the angels there she is looking like an angel mm-hmm. they really wanted some nudity there right. it would have been a beautiful shot uh-huh. but thank God they didn't do it because had we had nudity in the movie yeah. it wouldn't have gotten the audience that it got yeah definitely it would have been a movie with nudity in it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, she said, absolutely not. I'm not doing that. Put it out of your mind. It's not going to happen. Um, and so, but they were like, well, where's our sex in this movie? Where's our sex? <laughs> and so the producers got a hold of me and they said, okay, so we're not saying that you should be nude, but um, I said, what do you want me to do? <laughs> <laughs> they said, well, maybe, I mean, the whole thing was just like contrived to get some, some sex in there, yeah. you know, somehow. I said, we just, you know, just, just take off your cheerleading outfit and then the zombie's going to come out. And and I said, okay, I will, I will do that because I didn't really care. I was like, okay, yeah, it's fine. Um, so that's how that happened. That's why that happened. Mostly I blamed Kathy because she wouldn't do nudity. 
Oh. But you know, it's, it's, people, it's a crowd pleaser that scene, and, and I'm I'm happy that people like it. <laughs> and and the mall scene. Oh, but you know, also. Oh, sorry, go on. Well, the oh. mall scene. We were so tired. Oh my god! Yeah. You know, it was really fun because we we got to destroy this mall, and <laughs> and all the guys were so excited. Every time there were guns, they'd run around yelling "fire in the hall," <laughs> and we were just sort of rolling our eyes because. Um, but you know, it was fun. I got to smash a television set, and you know, I mean. We just really got to go and create chaos wherever we were, and I had the good fortune to be able to do that in several films that I was in. Yeah. I could walk in and destroy things. Um, <laughs> but we were so tired by the time we shot that, girls just want to have fun yeah. thing. And we were just basically doing whatever they told us to do. Okay, so here and now put this on, okay, and like dance around. We had no idea what we were going to be dancing to. We are just sort of bopping around. <laughs> okay. they didn't, we didn't know what music oh, there was, was no going music. to be. Right, okay. And, yeah, and so much to my delight, they got girls just want to have fun, which yeah. is the perfect song for that. Definitely. Um, but I had no, we had no concept of what it was going to be at that point. And then the, the thing of running up and down the stairs with all the clothes, we were just punchy. Yeah. You know, so, so they, I just thought it was funny that they handed us all these clothes, and so we just pretended like we're, <laughs> we're trying to get stuff away from each other. It was, and I, to me, that's one of the the greatest shots of us running up and down the stairs with all those yeah, clothes. Yeah, I love it. And this is what I love about Night of the we Comet. Were, I, we're honestly, Kathy and Kelly were just laughing there. I mean, it, it was the characters, but it was also us too because. <laughs> It was ridiculous. We're just enjoying ourselves. Everyone, love, everyone loves the, the, the mall scene because it's wish fulfillment. Everyone wants to wants to go into a mall empty and just loot the place and just have fun and run around. Um, and this whole movie is, is wish fulfillment. Um, you, you've got two people and family who know each other at the basically the end of the world. The world's gone and you can do whatever you want. You can steal cars. You can rob banks and then there's no consequences. Um and yeah, and usually you, you'd see this in the hands of maybe army guys or something like that. But in this film, you have two valley girls who who um, have yeah, the keys to the kingdom. So cool about it! It's so cool. Um, <laughs> well, they even say that of all the people that could have survived, this is who survived, and they show they cut to me. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Um, so what was it like with Tom Eberhardt? Um, I mean, he, he, he invented this world. He directed it. Um, what, what was, how did he kind of pitch this to you? How did he, what was he like on set? It's quite a mysterious he was guy. He was very fatherly. Mm -hmm. um, he was like, the, to me, he was like the, the, um, the, um, the, the typical, the, what's the word for it? Not typical, but exactly. But um, um, he was the absolute, picture of the worried dad. Right, right. He was the, the worried dad. He was the worried dad on set about everything that was going on. And he was worried that, you know, he, he always had this worried look on his face. And he'd just go, now, when she comes up and says this to you, why don't you... And I go, okay, and I would just do whatever you said. Like, the <laughs> thing with the daddy would have gotten us Uzis was because the Mach 10s were... Now, he told them, he said, I need Uzis, uh -huh. because if you get me these Mach 10s, they're going to jam. And believe me, we're not going to finish on time. It's going to cost you a fortune, <laughs> because they're going to jam through the whole movie. So what do they do? They cheap out, they get us these Mach 10s. And what, guess what? They jammed through the whole movie. They blew, blew take after take after take. And he was, you know... He was, like, furious because um, he told them. And so this one day, I'm trying to shoot up that car, 
And, of course, it's jamming, jamming, jamming. And he said, all right, comes up to me. He goes, the next time it jams, we're not going to cut. I said, what do you want me to do? And he goes, we're just going to show it jamming. And then you're going to say, um, see, that's the problem with these things. Daddy would have gotten us Uzis. Mm-hmm. And I said, really? Because I thought, oh, my God, you know, the producers and everything, they're going to kill me for saying that. He said, just say it. <laughs> and then, you know. Then just walk off in disgust. And I was actually being Tom. The man right. had turned into Tom for that moment. <laughs> and and it was like, see, you know, F you, right? I told you. Yeah. <laughs> and again, that's and so, an iconic actually, scene. Yeah, yeah, because and I, at first I thought, oh, God, we're going to get in so much trouble. And, but he was right, and we were all annoyed by this. And then he also had, had Kathy say, the mock ten is actually invented for housewives. Yeah. Um, it was all Tom's personal disdain for the fact that they had not gotten us Uzis. <laughs> and some of the, the most fun lines are, because people can tell when something is real. Yeah. You know, the exactly. audience can kind of, you know, I mean, there's nothing worse for me than to watch a movie where people are not taking the story seriously. Yeah. But, you know, the actors are, are commenting on what's going on or the writing is like way too clever for words and they don't really deal with what's what the, the story, the situation that they're creating. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you see that, that the writer and the director and the camera and the actors are believing something, then the audience believes it too. And that's the whole point of watching it. That's right. So if you guys don't believe it, why should us as the audience, why should we believe it? That's true. And, and I think that... I, Sorry, I think go. that we really got so involved and really believed in stuff that we we just sort of dragged the audience along with us. Yeah. Um, so um, the kind of lasting effect of Night of the Comet, um, it, it's been quite influential in, in pop culture because um, I know Joss Whedon, who uh, the creator of Buffy, among, amongst other yeah. massive things, he contributes uh, Night of the Comet to how um, how Buffy came together. Buffy. Yeah. Buffy the Vampire. I'm, I'm an inspiration for Buffy. You yeah. are, you are. He said that was um, the kind of like tone and the characters, um, Reggie and Sam, uh, were kind of the, the template for Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So, right. Uh, yeah. So I think you've got a lot to answer for um, in terms of um, the kind of longevity of that kind of style of of horror mixed with mixed with comedy and. Um, yeah, it's, it's very long-lasting, and um, I'm glad there are lots and lots of fans out there. Um, how, how do you fans respond to you now, like, um, all these years later, 34 years later? Are they still... Uh, have, you, have you noticed a trend where they're increasing, or are they decreasing? I'm trying to be the, the biggest cheerleader of this I think it's well. increasing, actually. I, I mean, of all things, I never would have dreamt this in a million years, that at least at least twice a week... Something comes up where I have to talk about Night of the Comet, or um, am invited to do something regarding Night of the Comet, or I mean, who would have thought that that would happen? <laughs> yeah. It's incredible. It's great. It really is amazing. It's amazing. Um, I, I mean, I knew it was a great part then, and actually, as I got as I got older in the business, I totally then went back and you know, it's unheard of that somebody gets a part like that. Yeah. Um, I was really lucky in my because when I was when when I was starting out, I got role after role that that just weren't written for for young women, mm-hmm. and I didn't even know it. I mean, I just thought, oh, my whole life is going to be this. I'm going to be like Betty Davis. Aha! No, you know, <laughs> no. I just had a unique run of extreme good fortune, and you know, it's it's just when you when you get a character that's created like like that, um, it's going to endure. It's just. 
And I played, I played, I played my heart out with them. You know, it's not like I, I certainly didn't squander the opportunity. I put my heart and soul into them. Yeah. Um, but uh, who knew that I'd be talking about it for my whole life? It's true. But I think you've created characters that are that have the longevity to to kind of last forever because they're so unique. And I, I, I don't think it has the, that kind of sibling act has been repeated in cinema since two two sisters together so either, actually it's it's really unique in it and it really works i don't think even if they remade this it would be a real hard job for two ladies to to play those parts and and, and kind of live up to to what's come before them um well that's the thing is that, and i did hear um that none of the comment has gone around to the studios ah, regarding a remake really and Everyone has turned it down, and the reason is they say the story is about the two girls. Yeah, it's not about remaking it for stupid special effects. The story is that that relationship, and it's not repeatable, and it's it's not worth trying to repeat it. Wow. It's not like a disaster movie where you can remake it. It's its own thing. That's a challenge. And Tom Everhart told me too. He said years later, I'd be on a, a, a TV set or something, and I would I would find myself trying to get the actresses to do what what you and Kathy did. Wow. And it's not repeatable. So, because I, I know they you can't get in, and they said, yeah, I, I find myself saying things like, you know, like in Night of the Comet when they. And the girls, the actresses just look at me like, what are you talking about? <laughs> um, um, yeah, so he experienced it, too. Yeah. It's it just one of those, uh, uh, such an odd and fortunate thing. I'm just getting, it's so funny, that the, you know, I'm just getting kind of goosebumps on my arms just thinking about it. Oh. Because it's part of my world. I don't really get to think about it. But now you're making me think about it. And I'm, I'm really, really recognizing all over again how yeah. truly special that was it really is and um, i know you were trying to a few years ago trying to put it out there for a sequel weren't you you were um i think i read something a little while ago that you were trying to get a sequel going as well at some point in the past well i thought it would be fun yeah you know because nobody was doing it and I, tom wrote me a letter and he said um he, he just said if, if anybody gets to do this it should be kelly yeah. And so I had this, I was armed with this little letter. And it used to be that we used to be able to go around and find these old movies and bring them back because mm-hmm. nobody knew what they had. Yeah. However, by the time I got to it, they already were on to us. The minute an actor starts sniffing around for an old movie that's sitting on the shelf someplace, mm-hmm. they knew. They thought, aha, okay. Well, the problem with it was for a long time was the rights were fragmented. So you had the overseas rights someplace and the music rights over here and then something else over here. And no one could even track down who owned what. And that was the holdup with it. Mm -hmm. And several times over the years, like people had approached Tom Art for like a, a, a cartoon or, you know, whatever. And they could never get it going because of that. MGM came around and and did their research and bought it. They bought, they got all the rights back everywhere they they could possibly. And so when I went, when I called them, they said, oh, you know, I did, they did speak to me. They said, oh, we're not interested in doing it at this time. And I thought, I knew right away. I thought they already know what, the, they already have plans for this. And sure enough, they did. So possibly yeah, had MGM. Had I done that a few years ago, they, right. they might not have been on to me. But um, <laughs> not that I had any money to buy it, but yeah. I thought if I could gen- drum up some enthusiasm, mm-hmm. you know, I could get get people on board. But they were—I I was too late. 
That's interesting. So they did, they did the Blu-ray and the, and all that stuff. Yeah. But uh, and it did go around to the studios for a remake. But everyone's like, why? Why? You know. So MGM owned the sequel. The well, the the remake rights and sequel rights. Um, they own everything now. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, and I have had a couple of people email me over the years saying, well, I'm thinking about doing a um, a sequel to None of the Comet. I wanted to let you know that I'm in talks with MGM. Right. And I'm like, yeah, sure. Um, because <laughs> I get these all the time, and nothing, yeah. it always fizzles out. Okay. And so I just so happen to know somebody who is in, involved in the writer's rooms. Right. And that's how I found out, oh, it's been around. Wow. Okay. There's always a writers' room where they um, they sit around. And they're called gangbangers, and they <laughs> sit around and look at scripts and just and they're gangbangers because everybody like gets a line. Like yeah. in a big movie, you'll see if you go to the movies with one of these people, they'll say, "Oh, that line, I wrote that line." Yeah, yeah. Because they all write stuff together, and sometimes that's what makes it look like a mess, and sometimes it doesn't. You know, sometimes it works. Yeah. But they all know what's going around, and he's the person who told me that it had been going around, and that's how I know. So, so did you have an idea of what the oh, sequel should be? Came right, it came right to our room. <laughs> and he said, he said to Joss, he was working with Joss Whedon, he said, you know, I know that, that girl mm-hmm. that you said was the inspiration for Buffy, or one of the inspirations for Buffy, and he said, yep. Joss Whedon said, oh, not one of the inspirations for Buffy. <laughs> did he? Wow. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah, that so, should be top of your CV. That's by how the way. I happen to know that. <laughs> Otherwise, I wouldn't know that. That that should that be top of your CV. Like, like Kelly Maroney, the inspiration for Buffy the Vampire Slayer. That that's. I know I can die now, right? Can, yeah. I know. I went to a, a I went to a Joss Whedon convention. Uh-huh. Um, they asked me to come because, and I had to do a panel on how to make a Buffy, <laughs> how to build a Buffy. That's amazing. <laughs> was it? It was awesome. Yeah. Well, actually. Yeah. So, I mean, I just think he was a, you know, he was a kid and he was watching that and I was giving him ideas. And I mean, yeah. geez, what an honor. What an honor to to be part of that. I had no idea I was doing that. And then they did a book on Joss Whedon. Yeah. And they called me and asked me for an interview. And I said, I was shocked. <laughs> so we were doing a book on, on Whedon World, you know, Joss Whedon. Yeah, yeah. And we wanted to get an interview with you because you're Buffy. Yeah. And I went, Oh my gosh! So I did. I gave them an interview, and it's uh, I guess it's available on Amazon. Uh-huh. Of course, I can't remember what it's called now because I'm terrible. Uh, but it, but um, I, I they I am in that. I guess it's just a catalog of everything he's ever done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just a, you know a love letter to Joss Whedon. Wow. But it, 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 I mean, it's in the consciousness enough so that people know that people are aware that Sammy is part of Buffy. Yeah, exactly. It's a part of the same universe. Uh, Chopping Mall. Tell me briefly your experiences on on Chopping Mall. Oh, well, again, you know, we always say work begets work, and it's never truer than if you look how how this happens to me. Yeah. Um, I was doing The Zero Boys, and I got a call that, um, of course, everyone knows who Roger Corman is. You know, I was supposed to go over and meet this director. And we'd shot all night, so I went, and I'd not been to bed because we shot all night, and I met Jim Wynorski. And the reason that he had called me in is because he saw Night of the Comet, and he went, I want to I get that actress to be the lead in Chopping Mall because 
um, he thought it would stand out if I was in it. Yeah. It's very, very flattering. Okay. So, um, and, but I would have never been up for that had I not done none of the comment because mm-hmm. I'm not really a Jim, Win- a Jim, well, a Jim Winorski or a Roger Corman type. Yeah. Yeah. Actually. But it was because of none of the comment that I got that part. Mm-hmm. Actually, Julie Corman didn't even um, want me to have that part. She wanted to cast somebody else. Because I was nervous during the audition. He said, Jim Winorski texted me and he goes, what's wrong with you? He said, you were so relaxed when I first met you. I said, I was exhausted when you first met me. Now I'm going, I'm reading, I'm, you know, reading for Roger Corman and, it, you know, it's intimidating. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> I got that anyway. I slid in yeah. there somehow. So the fun thing about um, the shopping mall was that, again, I got to run in there in the middle of the night. They didn't shut, close the shopping mall down for us. Oh, no way. Yeah. We had to wait till the, the, short, the stores were all closed and everything, and then run in there, destroy the mall, and then put everything back together again by the time that they were ready to open. Wow, I didn't <laughs> realize that. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was insane. It was insane. So, again, there I was, you know, destroying the mall. It was really... Um, and that's another film. I didn't film. think about it at the time, but yeah, that's another film okay. that's kind of that's another film that's yeah. become a cult classic. Uh, people love Chopping Mall, not as much as Night of the Comet, but people do come back to Chopping Mall quite a lot, and it's a, it's a real fun watch. Um, and the only downside of it is, like, I, I wish uh, Catherine was in it. I wish Kathy made an appearance in it, and then you could be both running around <laughs> a board again. Yeah, I, I would love that. I didn't think of that. <laughs> No, but somebody has to do something for for Kathy and I to do it together again. Oh yeah, I mean, that has to happen. I mean, if they do make a know, remake, I don't know what it would be. Oh, it's going to be a night of the if comic they made it, Yeah, yeah. Well, definitely not a remake. I mean, a reboot. You know, I, I would hope that if they were stupid enough to do a remake, that they, I would, you know, they'd let me play a Sharon Farrell's character because I would be the Doris. Oh, they'll just do. I don't think you, you, your, your but kids if they you did have. a sequel, yeah, a sequel would be better. Because we could be in it. But then what do you do after you say, okay, well, they survived, they grew up. What would I be like? The constable riding around in the cop car? <laughs> Catherine and, and, um, um, and, and, um, um, and Robert, Robert Beltran, would be yeah. like, I don't know, going organic farming or whatever. I think DMK <laughs> would have run off with a little Chinese girl and rebuild Vegas. <laughs> That's I think amazing. Somehow, you know, I would end up by myself because my, my MO seems to be woman alone for no particular reason other than that she got stuck by herself and then she has to like <laughs> fight all this stuff by herself that's I don't know a, why but that seems to be my zig heist that's so, a really dark <laughs> twist so we would have to get rid of him so like, he'd have to like have robbed the cradle there and he'd, he'd be in Vegas wow so we have to have me alone somehow but then then after that what we need a few more survivors I mean what's the story it, it could you know? be that you've uh, I mean, the story was the comment the yeah the comet hit, then what? You know, it comes back? I don't know. You know? Okay. I mean, I really see the problem here with trying to do anything further with it. And I'm so sick of, you know, remakes, number one, it's very rare that there's, that they work. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, and number two, can we think of something new? You know, why, does, why do people think, oh, that's a safe bet, I'll remake something everybody else already likes. True. And then, I mean, come on, think yeah. of something, you know, original. There's plenty of stories to tell still. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's nothing new under the sun, but you can certainly put your own spin on something. Why do you have to remake everything? I don't understand that. It's, it just seems so lame to me. That is true. Um, 
Can we just briefly talk uh, about your uh, when your, your first film, your first feature film, Fast Times at Ridgemont High? How did you how did you go from being um, a soap uh, a soap star to uh, to your first feature? I just auditioned for it. I, mm-hmm. I was lucky because I was high profile in, in New York because I was on the soap and and we were pulling very high ratings. And, yeah, and um. So I, I had a good agent, and I was able to audition for things. And they came to New York, and I auditioned for Stacy. But little did I know they already had Jennifer Jason Lee in mind. But yeah. I read with Phoebe and Brian Backer, and, and we did this. We read through the whole movie one Saturday, and Phoebe said, oh, my God, it's like we're, we're dying and we're in actor's purgatory. <laughs> um, and I didn't get the part, but then they called and said, do you want to play the cheerleader? Now, up to that point, I'd play only a couple of things, and I was always a psychotic or evil or, you know, up to no good. So for them to offer me the cheerleader, I was <laughs> flabbergasted. And I had to fly myself out there, but I did that. Yeah. Because, um, and I was a really smart thing that I'd one of the smartest things I ever did because now Fast Times is in the Library of Congress. Oh, it was great, yeah. So, I mean, that was really a, a good move on my part for a change. Um, um, but I, I was, I spent the whole movie going, cheerleader? What do they think I'm a cheerleader? And what does it say about New York versus LA that in New York, I'm a psychopath <laughs> and in Los Angeles, I'm a cheerleader? <laughs> do, 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 do. <laughs> That's strange. <laughs> Yeah, but if it wasn't for Fast Times at Ridgemont High, there would there would be no uh, uh, Sam in in Night of the Comet. Um, I, I assume that's right. Um, and, and they all beget each other. If there was no um, Kimberly and Ryan's help, there'd be no Samantha. I mean, it just yeah. it just all goes in a circle. That's great. So I'm really looking forward to. Um, I mean, it, it would be great if somebody wrote something for me and Kathy again. It would be great if something or somebody wrote something for Barbara and I again too. Yeah, Barbara Crampton. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, we stayed friends great. too. So yeah, that's um, great. We always play friends. Um, so it was just odd because I actually look more like Barbara Crampton than Kathy. You do. You do. <laughs> but, that's the alternative world yeah. where you two play sisters in uh, Night of the Comet. Um. But yeah, you've, you've done some TV. You've done some TV stuff um, as well. Besides, besides Ryan's Hope, uh, you did um, an episode of uh, Murder She Wrote. Yeah, and did a Showtime movie with Joe Montana and Peter Riegert that Tom Everhart also wrote. Uh-huh. He wrote it actually with me in mind. Okay, I play a schizophrenic. <laughs> yeah, and that's one. That's one of my favorite things I've ever done. What's that one called? Sorry, it's called Face Down. Oh, okay. And, Adam and I, Peter Rieger, Joe Montana, and myself. Face down in 1997, yep, where you play Mary, I can see here. Mm, Mary Meredith. So that's one you recommend. That's one you recommend to watch. Oh, yeah. It's my favorite thing I've done, actually. Yeah, wow. I did it as a grown up, you know. Yeah. Um, but one, of the, one of the things in Oh Boo Hoo is that you get stuck in people's memory at, at a certain time. Of, of your life and their life mm-hmm. it's like 34 years later I'm still alive and I still mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I'm still you know I think I actually think I'm a better actress now than I was when I was a kid but yeah. um, I, I do seem to be kind of stuck back there and I'm really working double time to try to change that I'm doing a movie called To Avenge um, yeah. within the next year and that's going to be fun so what's a, that about? it's actually a very brutal story okay. it's, a, it's a brutal story I get to play um, a mean person Oh. Which is <laughs> which is fun because I don't always get to play a mean person. Sometimes yeah. I do. Usually in New York, but <laughs> <laughs> exactly. this is going to be in Maryland, Philadelphia, and um, 
it's a revenge story. It's a brutal, like a crime story. Mm-hmm. And um, um, and then I have a comedy coming out called um, Exorcism at sixty thousand feet. Wow, okay. Which is, that's what it sounds like. <laughs> it's a cross between um, um, snakes on a plane, the exorcist, and um, airplane. And I can't believe some of the things that we did. I was watching yeah. them shoot this plane. I can't believe we're doing that. But the guy said, I'm making the movies that I want to see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you have some idea. And I, I, I mean, you have to laugh. It's just ridiculous. So it's, it's that kind of screwball comedy. And yeah. that should be out sometime this fall. I don't think it'll get a theatrical. It probably, as most things do now, will go uh-huh. on demand or, you know, one yeah. of those things. Oh, it stars Lance Henriksen, Bai Ling. Um, Bill Mosley. Uh huh. Adrian Barbeau. Oh, Adrian Barbeau's in it as well. Wow. That, yeah. That's a good cast. Well, we all get stuck on this plane, and it's, you know, as you can imagine, there's an exorcism at 60,000 feet. <laughs> <laughs> I can see the tagline. Um, it's uh-huh. airline flight 666. That that was the clue. The clue. Well, that, no, it's actually they didn't do that because I didn't expect didn't. it to be six six six, so they made it six six five. No, okay. <laughs> I don't know how it's going to end up. I mean, I saw it when we were doing some um, some looping, yeah. some ADR, mm-hmm. but I've not seen it. But I look forward to seeing it because it looks crazy. Uh, I can't wait. I can't wait. So, um, you also did know, one of my favorite. TV shows that are around right now. You, you were in an episode of uh, Tim and Eric Awesome Show. Great job. Um, yes, I was. Yeah, and I rewatched that That's scene weird. with you in it, and it was crazy. That it's, is so weird. I know it's so disturbing. I know, but I, I actually really <laughs> love it. I'm. That, it's just um, it's you and Patrick Duffy, and he is trying yeah. to sell something. Well, we're, on a, we're on a date. Yeah. Yeah, we're on a date. It's and it, we're us. It's like what hap- what would happen if these two actors from the eighties ended up on a on a date on the internet and what would happen? <laughs> Which surreal. you know what? I mean, and any woman if they were on a, an internet date and it turned guy turned out to be Patrick Duffy, they'd be pretty pleased. <laughs> That's true. That is true. <laughs> um, but you know, they, they, that show is known for all that stuff. It is. There was a commercial on at the time, and it was so weird. It was called. Um, Extends and the woman that was doing it was like smirking at the camera and going with extends. It was just like really gross, <laughs> and so they were they were doing a takeoff on that. Ah, Man okay. Nip. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's so funny. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed that. Um, do you have any aspirations to um, kind of write or direct anything yourself? Um, um like I have uh, when I've been doing a play or something I, okay. I've seen where oh yeah you know what would be great there um, and been able to help direct stuff mm-hmm. but very informally and I'm, I'm always threatening to write stuff but I don't have anything ready for that I want to show anybody yet yeah, yeah, so yeah. basically so I mean I've produced I do like producing just because it's the satisfaction of actually making something happen, yeah. which it can be frustrating to think, why, why can't they make this happen? Mm-hmm. So if you get a chance, you know, you, you can actually go in there and go, all right, I'm going to make this happen. I don't know how I'm going to make this happen, but I am. Yeah, because I was just thinking if, if you were going to write something, you could write something for yourself and, and Catherine, maybe. Um, where do you see, where do you see, if there was going to be a project with you and Catherine in, do you think it would be something like a remake of, of Night of the Comet, or would you no, want to write something No, I'd like to have us do something different. Yeah. 
it wouldn't be a remake of anything. You know how I feel about remakes. Yes, yes. Not that I wouldn't do do one, you know, yeah. I mean, of anything. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I could understand why, why uh, Julianne Moore would do a remake of Carrie, because that's a wonderful part to play. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, as much as I'm going, why would anyone remake Carrie? Mm-hmm. But, um... I, I can understand why, you know, as an actor, you want to play that part. But wouldn't yeah. it be wonderful to play something new? Yes, that's true. And have both of you I mean, as sisters I, again. That would that would be great. Yeah. Well, the thing. Yeah. Well, the thing with the sisters thing is, I did ask her. Kathy, Kathy was always trying to be nice about it. Like, well, we kind of look alike. I Kathy, we look no. alike. <laughs> it's crazy how little we look alike. We look completely different. We're completely different species. And so I asked the, <laughs> as the producer that why don't we look alike? And he said, I did that on purpose. That there's something for everything for everyone in this picture. <laughs> My theory was that you had a different dad. It's the most sexist thing ever, but it's the most sexist thing you've ever heard. But yeah, there's some, something for everyone in this picture. The, yeah, I guess you had to with a with a. With oh a my god! It all <laughs> depends on what what kind of a. And he even has the little Chinese girl saying, at the, you know, oh, she's what a cool looking girl. And the Chinese little Chinese girl says, if you like the type. <laughs> oh god! Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. So, but anyway, we we were when I first got that part, Tom Emberhart said, oh. Watch My Man Godfrey, which I'd already seen, yeah. but watching it with the eye to um, the relationship, that, the basic relationship that he'd had in mind mm-hmm. was, I was Carol Lombard and Kathy was the other sister. Now, she wasn't mean like that, mm-hmm. but he wanted that dynamic. He said, I don't want you to um, to imitate Catherine, <laughs> hello, imitate Carol Lombard, but I do want that feeling from her, wow. that kind of screwball kind of thing. And so, even though he said, "I want the most annoying cheerleader in the world," that's that's the way Tom speaks, but that's not what he means. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's a thing with with Tom Everhart; you have to you have to decipher what he actually means because <laughs> his manner of speaking can be can be um, kind of uh, cynical and sardonic, but it's not what he means. Yeah, yeah. So when he said the most irritating, she, yeah. So <laughs> what he actually meant was Carol Lombard, who's not irritating at all. She's delightful, you know. And so he showed me that. We watched it together. Uh-huh. Um, and um, so, um, but if you notice there, in that, the sisters look nothing alike. Carol Lombard's true, a blonde yeah. and the other actress name escapes me as a brunette. So the point is not that we, I mean, nowadays everybody, you know, it's like they, they go through the actor's DNA to make sure that they're going to look like family. Yeah, yeah. You don't know, necessarily have to do that. I mean, the, the point is the story, it's the contrast, it's not how much they actually look alike. Yeah, and the vibe. You know? I mean, having said that, I really, I, yeah, yeah, I mean, because you just look at um, you have people that actually look like, wow, they look like they come from the same family. There's no chemistry whatsoever. So, you know, <laughs> great, they look alike, so you buy it, yeah. but. You know, I mean, having said that, we have a show called Law and Order, and they're casting for some reason. They are able to hit casting so that these people all look like they're really related. It's <laughs> uncanny. I've never seen anything like it. They, I mean, it's, it's a real standout for me. I mean, people do that a lot, but that particular show, I have to mention. But you know what? It's just as easy to completely forego that mm-hmm. and do like um like Night of the Comet or... Uh, my man Godfrey, or whatever it is you want to do. Yeah. Um, for, for contrast, I mean, he said it. Producer said it in a very sexist way, but I knew what he meant right away. Yeah. So you do know what he means. Exactly. Know? Yeah. So, like, um, 
like I said, I, I'm involved with with film myself, and um, I I made a film called Dawn of the Deaf. It's kind of inspired a little bit by Night of the Comet, but it's about a sound that kills everybody on Earth, and the only people left are are deaf people because they the sound didn't affect them. So it's about how the deaf people survive post uh, oh, this cool. event. Um, yeah, and um, we. Uh, when I do these Q&As and I, I speak to uh, the audience, I, I, again, that's where I say Night of the Comets, the inspiration. And, um, and yeah, and that's been turned into a, into a feature film. So um, I did say it to Catherine, at some point um, when the feature film is is further along, then uh, definitely get in touch with yourself and, and Catherine because I definitely want you two to kind of have a cameo in it or do something in it. Um, because, oh, I would love it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll be in touch. Up. Oh, awesome. <laughs> we'll, we'll, be in, we'll be in touch. Yeah, that'll be fun. Boy, that will, at least finally we'll be in another film together. Exactly. Thank you. But you have to play you're sisters. The, you're the person who put us back together. That's amazing. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad of it. I'm glad of it. Um, yeah, well, we'll just... We'll, it'll be the first time since. Really? I'm surprised no one's tried to get yeah. you back together in anything. No. Wow! Isn't that strange? Yeah, that's the first thing I thought of. As soon as, <laughs> as soon as, as soon as I um, wanted to get into films, I was like, right. At some point, I'm going to engineer a way that I can I can get these two ladies back together in the film because I want this universe of Night of the Comet to to keep going um, because it's brought me and a lot of people out there a lot of fun over the years. And um, you may think I'm being disingenuous when I when I say it's been an honour to talk to you, Kelly. It really, really has because um, I. I watched Night of the Comet when I was very little and I'm older now and I'm still in awe of it every time I watch it. And I make everybody watch it as well um, all the time. So, um, yeah, I really (laughs) appreciate uh, what you've brought into into my life and my brain. Um, And any success I have with films is because of Night of the Comet. (laughs) Um, Well, thank you so much. I I can't even... Thank you doesn't really uh, cover it, but it seems... That's not really enough to, to oh. say in response to something like that. Thank you so much. It's it's, it's all true. Um, but yeah, I guess I guess uh, we'll leave it there, Kelly. Uh, again, really appreciate talking to you. Um, it's been it's been great, and uh, um, I hope uh, we can put you both in a movie together again. That would be my. Uh, oh, it would be wonderful. <laughs> it would be wonderful. It, it's. Gosh, you know, I haven't even allowed myself to think, yeah, we really have to do that because I just didn't ever think it would happen. But you know what? How fantastic would that be? It would. It'd be great. Um, Yeah. You see Kelly, in, you see um, Catherine in, in, a, in a couple of weeks anyway, so um, I'm, I'm sure yeah. she'll mention it because I did, did mention it to her too. Yeah, thanks very much. Um, you, can, you, can, you can stay on the phone because I'll talk, I'll talk to you in a second. I'll just um, I'll do a, a wind up of the of the podcast. Uh, thanks very much to okay. Kelly Maroney and uh, everyone else. Uh, I'll see you next week. Well, thank you too. Thank you for a wonderful conversation. You're fantastic, and thank you everybody for listening. Hope to see you soon.